0: Today on Ag News Daily. You know, we're providing environmental consulting and basically advice, you know, to our to our farmers on how to best utilize their manure from their hog site.
1: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily podcast. My name is Delaney Howell, joined by my co-host, Mike Pearson. And Mike, today is WASD Day as well as Tech Tuesday Day.
2: It is. It is WASDE Day, and it is turnaround Tuesday, Delaney, in, I think, every market. I guess I haven't checked, dairy. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But equity markets were back up. They're well off their highs of the day. But the grains were up. Cattle were up. Everybody was turning around from yesterday's cat- catastrophic downturn. So it's it's good news all the way around. Delaney, if we're talking WASDE right off the bat, do you want me to dive right into these numbers?
1: Yeah, I think we should just get that right out of the way.
2: You bet, and get it out of the way we shall. Um, Basically, if you wanted to read this month's WASDI report, you can basically read the February report, uh, which was handy because the USDA was delayed in getting this report out, actually, this morning. It was not out at 11. It was out at about 11.03. USDA made no changes to soybean export figures. That was the one area we thought they might make some changes since China had taken some purchases in January and February, and they made no changes to soybean ending stocks. They left them the same at 425 million bushels. Corn exports, similar story. Still forecast at 1.725 billion bushels, the same as in February, and ending stocks left unchanged at 1.892 billion bushels. So those were the main headlines, and they're not going to drive... Many headlines. Delaney, same as February. Very few changes. Um, not uh, it really, literally, did not move the markets at all when it came out uh, at 11:03 this morning.
1: Yeah, in today's markets, you're right. Definitely had a turnaround day after yesterday's sell-off. But uh, I don't know, Mike. Do you think, from your perspective, are we kind of done trading that maybe coronavirus or fear-based news for a while, or do you think it's something that we're just gonna have to keep watching?
2: I think we're going to have to keep watching it. You know, at the end of the day, I've talked on the podcast, I'm not too scared of this coronavirus thing. It's an upper respiratory disorder or, you know, disease. It'll make you cough. It'll give you a fever. As long as you're healthy, there's not a lot to fear. If you're elderly, if you have immuno uh, issues, immunization issues, um, you know, then, then there are definitely reasons to be concerned with this. But as it continues to spread, and all of the experts say that it will, We're going to continue to see countries lock down travel, which is definitely going to impact the market. In fact, today, Italy took their northern Italy lockdown and spread it to basically the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. They say streets are completely deserted in Italy now.
1: Yeah, I saw some news footage over the weekend that said, like, the Vatican and, you know, some of the more tourist destinations, they had footage of it just absolutely dead.
2: Yeah. And it's not just Italy. Um, I saw a report. This was on Twitter. So bear with me, folks. Uh, No way to verify it. But they said traffic in Seattle was down 50 percent. Traffic in, uh, gosh, San Francisco was down 40-ish percent. And there was one other city that was mentioned that I don't remember, and I'm I'm not going to take a guess at it. But basically, people are staying home and working from home if they have that ability.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I've already had, you know, some conferences and stuff that I was supposed to be attending here over the next couple of weeks. I've even had some of those being canceled and or being threatened to be canceled just because we could see people traveling in from all parts of the country and, you know... I guess right. those germs could spread. The question I keep having, and maybe folks on Twitter and Facebook can answer this for us as well at Ag News Daily, but in situations like these, is it rude not to want to shake someone's hand?
2: Um, I, I don't think it is rude. So the Catholic Church, at least here in Chicago, and I was talking to uh, uh, the controller here at our company, she said the, diocese, uh, the Archdiocese of Chicago has greenlit the ability to just like bump fists or nudge elbows or do whatever you want when you're sharing the peace with one another. Mm -hmm. So they're saying, if the church says it's cool, I think you're good saying, I don't want to shake your hand.
1: Yeah. You just, I don't need the spread of germs.
2: Right. Right. Just carry some hand sanitizer with you. At the end of the day, you're young and healthy. Um, You're going to be fine with this thing. But if you are around elderly people, you don't want to be spreading it. So I I think Mm -hmm. the world appreciates your conscientiousness Delaney Mm, but I am sick to death of coronavirus talk uh
1: well I've got I've got quite a couple other stories so I've got to I got it not quite we're not quite done with that story yet today Because, actually, I've got, like, three pieces related to the coronavirus today. Oh, my um, goodness.
2: Well, rip his Band-Aid off, Delaney.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, they're all kind of loosely related to the coronavirus. I'm going to start with maybe kind of a more fun or an insightful one that I found today on Reuters. And so, of course, as you and I have talked about on the podcast, hand sanitizer is basically, you know ripped off the shelves in a lot of places. However, there has been a positive agricultural impact because of the influx in hand sanitizing purchases. And so ethanol producers worldwide say that because this demand for hand sanitizer has been up, a lot of them use biofuel or biofuel byproducts and has actually been helping ethanol producers worldwide. I didn't realize that there were biofuel byproducts in hand sanitizer but apparently there are
2: well i mean there's certainly alcohol
1: right and i wonder if bioethanol that? alcohol is i guess a large byproduct that's found in hand sanitizers
2: Fantastic. Well, folks, get out there. Buy that hand sanitizer. <laughs> Forget what I was saying earlier. we got to find some way to add more margin to these ethanol plants to get this corn moved through the system. So, yeah, go load up. Tear up the Costco. Tear up the Hy-Vee. Go get your hand sanitizer. Yeah, I'm
1: not sure. Like, like I said, I'm not sure like, how much of the market share that is, but uh, it's definitely a positive impact. I'm sure impact, it's tiny, so, yeah. but if
2: we all act together, Delaney, right. we can get things done. Absolutely. Um, before we go into continued coronavirus news. I just have one quick story. This is coming from the National Pork Producers Council, and they are running a new ad campaign, and I'm not sure how I feel about it. So I'm going to throw it to you, Delaney. I'm not sure if you've heard it. Their new campaign, and I'm going to throw it out to the listeners. Uh, We'll probably have to create a poll. So check out our Twitter at AgNewsDaily, and uh, we're going to throw this out there. Give us your thoughts. Here's the campaign. Pork, it comes from a pig, not Silicon Valley.
1: Uh, I mean, obviously that's taking a direct jab at the plant-based and or Petri dish-based meat products.
2: Right, exactly. So they're aiming at technology, but I I don't know how i and Here's why I'm kind of mixed on it. The pork industry today in this country utilizes a lot of technology. Mm -hmm. They are a very high-tech industry that relies a lot on Silicon Valley. Why are they picking them as the enemy? I mean, I get the slam on the fake meats. But I feel like we're kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, maybe.
1: Yeah. Or producers chime yeah. in. Uh, that's kind of my that's my take on it too, and and it's just kind of it's not, generic's not the right word, but it's a little vague, maybe, because it, it does sound like they're just slamming all of Silicon Valley instead of specifically like their meat competitors.
2: Yeah, yeah. So you know, they didn't ask us.
1: No, they didn't. But uh,
2: they uh, they unveiled this. Well, so apparently they unveiled kind of a trial. Um, earlier this week at Kansas City International Airport, and they ran some ads last month at the Des Moines Airport around the Iowa caucus time, but they officially announced this campaign at the National Pork Industry Forum in Kansas City earlier this week, Delaney.
1: Yes, that's right. Actually, that was last week, but that's okay.
2: Oh, great. Well, I'm glad you're on top of things.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's how it is here on the podcast, Mike. You're you're more tuned in with the commodity markets, and that's great, but... Okay, turning our attention back to the coronavirus, this stuff isn't real. I mean, it's loosely related to the coronavirus, but more specifically looking at U.S.-China trade negotiations. And so we've seen USDA Trade Undersecretary Ted McKinney said it's still too early to know what impact this coronavirus is going to have on China's ability to import American farm goods. However, just this morning, we saw U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue send out an announcement that China has continued to implement the U.S.-China Phase 1 trade deal. The most recent actions include essentially signing on and allowing more importation of California nectarines and other fruits, and also, this is a big one, lifting a ban on imports of beef and beef products from animals over 30 months of age. We also saw them update a list for exporting dairy, infant formula, seafoods, fish oil, and fish meal. So the big one here is obviously the dairy and dairy age, or excuse me, the beef and beef age. But I think it also goes to show that they're taking a step in the right direction.
2: Absolutely, Delaney. It comes back to what you mentioned. I think it was yesterday or last week when you said Sonny Purdue was saying China is taking the steps towards following through on their promises. And this seems to be another step they need to take in order to buy their you know, $40 billion worth of ag goods. So this is definitely something to celebrate, even if it's not really reflected in the market yet, until those goods start leaving our shores.
1: Exactly. But it does appear that uh, at least beef and, of course, U.S. poultry will be leaving our shores fairly soon because of African swine fever. Uh, Turning our attention to that epidemic or pandemic or whatever you want to call it, I don't know, do you use those terms when it comes to animal-related viruses and illnesses too or just humans i'm not sure
2: i think you could say epidemic but it's not a pandemic because it's not worldwide
1: got it okay well it is though arguably
2: well i mean it's not in the western
1: hemisphere Um, i
2: don't believe no i don't believe it is because it's still in eastern europe
1: yes okay so this epidemic the african swine fever epidemic has encouraged china to import now of course U.S. beef, U.S. poultry, but it's also encouraging Chinese producers to increase their poultry production. And as you and I have talked about on the podcast before, and it does appear that it is the route they are taking by increasing poultry and egg production as well as aquaculture, they are offsetting some of those losses and potentially not going to necessarily rebuild their hog herd to the full potential that it used to be. And so... Some preliminary analysis that came out in 2019 said that due to ASF, we would see Chinese demand for feed drop by 1%. But now they're saying it could have been much worse. They said originally they were thinking thinking about 16%, but in reality it was just 1% in Chinese feed demand was what dropped in 2019-2020 marketing year. So I think that's also another positive thing that maybe we weren't expecting it to see quite that small.
2: Yeah, yeah, I remember hearing those 12 to 16% figures when this thing was really starting to spin out of control. How they were able to get it down to just 1% is uh, pretty impressive. I I wonder how much additional grain they were feeding to the remaining hogs.
1: Well, and I think, like I said, the poultry increase and also the aquaculture, I guess, has been able to help them pick back up paces, so to speak.
2: Absolutely. Well, I just have one other quick update. This is from the Iowa Corn Growers. This is a statement they released um, earlier today as the Trump administration prepares, we believe, to appeal the 10th Federal Appeals Court ruling that uh, basically was going to force the EPA to limit the amount of small refinery exemptions. Um, they issued a very, very strong statement. Of course, Iowa corn growers backs ethanol completely. And there was a comment made by ICGA President Jim Grief. He's a farmer from Monticello, Iowa. Great guy. Collects combines. Just, just a neat fella. But he said, quote, if EPA appeals this case, the EPA is not doing their job or following their mission to protect human and environmental health. Instead, the EPA is involved in politics and their decision not to follow the court's direction to implement the RFS law as intended and allow oil companies to abuse the use of RFS waivers. The abuse will not, excuse me, the abuse will allow less renewable fuels that are proven to have benefits to human health and our environment. So it sounds like the ethanol industry, biodiesel industry is going to really pursue the environmental impact of using more crude oil rather than clean-burning, homemade American mm-hmm. ethanol and soy-based biodiesel. Delaney?
1: Yes. And we know that we saw the EPA receive an extension from that uh, appeal process, 15-day extension. So, yeah, this, this thing should get somewhat solidified, I think, here over the next couple weeks.
2: All right, well, we'll keep an eye on it. Delaney, are you out of coronavirus stories?
1: I am, but I do have one other quick piece of, I think, very fitting Tech Tuesday news for today. Ooh, lay it on us. Well, kind of in the aftermath here of the climate core slash tillable disconnection mm. or uh, ending of the the uh, relationship there, Farm Journal did a poll of about 643 farmers from across the country asking them how confident they felt in the security and privacy of their on-farm data. And we saw with that poll about 53% of farmers said they're not confident that their on-farm data is secure, especially in the aftermath of that climate core-tillable relationship and all that entailed
2: interesting. You know, we'll have to get our good friend Todd Jansen back on the mm-hmm. podcast. He's the lawyer from over there in Indianapolis who has been very big on uh, pioneering data transfer, data handling transparency when it comes to agriculture.
1: Yes, he definitely has.
2: All right. Well, let's jump into the markets. We've got good news today for producers. Should we uh, go ahead and read through it, Delaney? Let's do it. All right, starting with corn we 've got green on the screen and all the grains today, starting with corn, May was up four and three quarter cents at three seventy seven and a half December new crop up four and a quarter to finish at three hundred and eighty and a half in soybeans, the may contract up six and a quarter well uh, well off the day's high, but still in the grain closed at eight seventy six and a quarter November new crop five and a quarter higher to finish at eight ninety one and a half over in Chicago, wheat kind of slugged around near unchanged all morning and then popped as we uh, worked through the afternoon. May was up. Up three and a half cents at 522 and a quarter. The December up one and a quarter to close the day at 538 and a quarter. Looking over at livestock, we had live cattle trading limit up almost all day. They dip down occasionally and then go right back to limit up. Couldn't hold it into the close, however. The April live cattle contract was up $2.60 at 105.45. The June up $2.4250 to close at 99.5250. Feeder cattle also well off the day's highs, but still in the green. The April contract was up $2.40 at 1. 2795 the may up $3.10 at 12975 and lean hogs also green 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 april contract up $2 even to close at $65 the may up $2.30 finishing the day at 71 even and dairy also in the green the march contract up 3 cents at 1633 with the april Also, up three to close the day at 1584. It's fitting we ended with livestock because we are talking with a company that works to help livestock producers expand in rural Iowa for today's Tech Tuesday.
1: Well, for today's Hashtag Tech Tuesday interview, we are joined by Samantha DeWitt of AgVice, co-founder of AgVice. I should add, Samantha, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Thank you. Happy to be here. So, Samantha, looking at AgVice, tell us a little bit. I mean, the name is pretty creative in itself, but tell us a little bit more about the company, how you guys came to be, and how you
0: got the name. Sure. So, we co-founded, um, I should say, we have a co-partner, Seth Langert. Uh, we co-founded AgVice here about seven months ago. And what we do, we offer manure um, management plan and site permitting services for primarily hog farmers um, across the state of Iowa. So when we kind of came up with the name, um, it was kind of a, a creative session, I guess you want to call it. Um, you know, we're providing environmental consulting and basically advice, you know, to our to our farmers on how to best utilize their manure from their hog sites. Um, that's kind of how the name AgVice came to be.
2: Samantha, that is really cool. And when we think about the permitting process for livestock facilities, it is convoluted. But I think a lot of folks outside the you know, animal production field of agriculture don't ever wade into it. Can you give us a little bit of a background on what that looks like, getting a, a permit approved to put in a new hog barn or even cattle barn? It's very much similar rules, or chicken barn, yeah. et cetera. But uh, what, what does it mean when you say you're working with the permitting process? What are the hoops growers have sure. to jump through?
0: Sure. So there are a number of regulations um, required depending on the size of the site that somebody's interested in building. Um, so they go off of animal units. Um, for example, a cow would be one animal unit, or what, for we, what we primarily pig, sure pig is considered 0.4 animal units um, per head. So for say somebody interested in building a site that is smaller than 2,500 heads uh which is where the regulations and rules change is anything less than twenty five hundred head and anything above twenty five hundred head. Um a thousand animal units is roughly or is that cutoff. Um, for regulations there are different separation distances that a site must maintain as far as a distance to the road, distance to a water source, distance to a residence, distance to a public use area, that type of thing. Um, so that's something that we provide. We walk them through that entire process of first where can your barn be placed in um, and, and relation to anything, you know, close by. Once we get into the larger size sites, um, most of the counties, not all, but most of the counties in the state of Iowa have adopted what's called the master matrix, um, which is a point scoring system where you are rewarded points for on the separation distances or, say, for example, agreeing to plant trees at your site, um, that kind of thing, taking some points for landscaping that kind of thing. So there are a minimum of 440 points that these larger sites um, have to hit in order for that master matrix to pass, if that makes sense. So there's a lot of regulations um, and laws in effect and that's kind of what we help walk everybody through the process.
1: And so just to clarify, anybody wanting to put up either a large-scale confinement or a hog building and or cattle building has to go through this process.
0: Yeah, yeah, depending on the head capacity. um, Sites must be over 500 animal units um, to be, I guess, qualified for needing a manure management plan, over 1,000 animal units for needing a master matrix, that kind of thing. So they do have to be, you know, a fairly large facility um, for these rules to apply to them.
1: Gotcha. So, how do you go about then? You know, when let's say I, I'm a new producer, I've never raised livestock, or maybe I grew up on a livestock farm and I'm getting into it myself. How do you go through that process? Because that sounds like a lot of stuff to try and tackle.
0: There, there is, you know, and and most of the guys today, you know, that are fairly new um, to this, they'll they'll either work with an integrator. Um, you know, there are a number of integrators that work across the state where. They own the animals and then the farmer owns the barn and they're basically, you know, taking care of and raising those animals for that integrator. Um, So that's a good relationship that we have, you know, with a number of integrators across the state. And then the next step that they find once we, you know, have a site picked out or sometimes even the first step is contacting a builder. There's a number of um, companies across the state that, you know, build these hog consignments and they can also help, you know line people up with different integrators and find what the right fit is you know for their farm and their operation and, and that's kind of where we come in after that from the regulatory standpoint you know that during that process to see you know what is the best fit for everybody involved
2: Now, I'm guessing some of our listeners at this point in the conversation are wondering, why are we talking to Agvice on Tech Tuesday? But when you guys are coming up with all of the solutions to meet these requirements, a lot of technology goes into place. I understand you're probably utilizing satellite imagery and all sorts of different things. Can you tell us a little bit about what the day-to-day looks like when you're creating these manure management plans and what technology does go into uh, helping put them together?
0: Sure. We do have a number of mapping programs, obviously, that we utilize, um, not only to place sites and measure distances between you know, the footprint of the barn and the, the closest um, residences or water sources or whatever we're measuring to. So, we do have programs for that and also programs that we map these fields that go into the manure management plan. So, where the manure is going to be applied, those fields and that information is also included in the manure management plan. So, there are a number of other programs and calculations that we have to use. So as far as the day-to-day, um, we can either be out on the road, you know, looking at sites, meeting with people, or we can be in our office um, working through a lot of these programs that's very, you know, heavily computer and technology involved. Um, programs are changing and updating all the time, which makes our lives easier too and makes information more accurate. So we absolutely try and utilize the most current technology that we can.
1: And Samantha, I've got to ask because I know – that uh, livestock farmers are sometimes faced with some opposition, especially when you look at groups like PETA or Iowa's Concerned Citizens. Mm-hmm. Do you guys face a lot of challenges from, I, w- I would call them maybe a little more extremist type of groups when you're going through this sure. process? And how do you answer their concerns about, hey, we're actually backing up what we're doing here with science and technology?
0: Sure. sure. I've I've been involved in a number of these. I don't want to say it's it's common, Um Unfortunately, sometimes in some locations across the state, it is common um, to have more opposition from neighbors than others. Um, I've definitely been involved in it um, with a number of sites. There's one in particular um, that sticks out in my mind that has had some neighbors and is you know, going to trial, and we're actually to the point where there's going to be a trial this summer. Um, and the most important thing that I tell my farmers is to, is to be open and to have that conversation with their neighbors and you know, a lot of these people, you're not going to change their mind. Um, they've already got their minds made up. But the best thing that we can do as farmers is to educate and to be open, uh, not telling guys to open the doors to their facilities and let people in. But definitely be open and keep that line of communication there to explain to people what you're doing, why you're doing it, and how you're you know, justifying this operation on your farm for future generations, etc., um, you know that you are following the regulations and the setbacks and here are the extra things that you're doing you know to be the best neighbor that you can be um, and that kind of thing so that's that's the best education that I can give um, and that's kind of a unique opportunity that I have to be able to do that in the position I am too um, to not only have those conversations with the farmers but to also help with some of that neighbor relations um, stuff as well so it's it's kind of fun that's kind of challenging and you know you can't convince everybody but Um, that's the best thing you can do is just keep the communication open.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Having that transparency, I think, really helps out folks as well. But uh, Samantha, as you look at the future, uh, talking specifically, I suppose, about manure management and whatnot, what technology is there that's coming down the pipeline that, especially as we continue to see you know, environmental concerns and doing more for the environment being a really big focal point that I don't think is going away anytime soon for folks in D.C. and legislation and elsewhere, putting some pressure on farm country. What do you see as far as manure management goes and, and technology that's coming to
0: help us make that job a little bit easier? Well, I mean, obviously regulations aren't going away. Um, and I can't see, you know, anything changing, <clears throat> excuse me, from that perspective soon as far as technology is concerned. I mean, it, like I said before, we see new programs and, um, you know, technologies available every day that come out, and I can I can just see this process being able to get more and more accurate um, as we go down. I mean, we're already utilizing a lot of, um, you know, GPS equipment as far as barn placement and having having the ability to have things Um, a lot more higher accuracy when placing sites, I can see some of that, you know, being to our benefit as well. So um, it's hard to say, you know, where the regulations are going to be, say in the next 5, 10, 15, you know, plus years. Um, But I think with, you know, the way technology advances, it's just gonna help us prove and show, you know, that we're doing the right thing and that we're, you know, trying to do the right thing from day one. So that's something that I kind of see coming in the future.
2: Yeah, and that is something that's always going to be essential. Samantha, if we've got listeners out there who are maybe considering making the jump into livestock production, um, how can they get a hold of you to get the ball rolling?
0: Absolutely. So we do have a website. Um, it's the number 4 um, and We also have a Facebook page, and then we've got a, an 800 number, which is um, 800-674-3045, and that will ring directly to Seth and I. Um, Like I said, before we cover the whole state, we kind of split the state west and east. So depending on where somebody's located, if they're interested, you know, we're happy to come meet with somebody. So look forward to hearing from anybody interested.
2: Fantastic, folks. Be sure to check out the website there for AgVice. Samantha, thanks for taking the time to chat with us today.
0: Thank you. I appreciate it.
1: Well, again, a big thank you there too, Samantha. Really interesting stuff, and you know, there's a lot of moving pieces. I don't think we think about in agriculture as we're going through those processes. I mean, livestock is definitely one of the most face, one of the most industries faced with opposition as you consider starting a new venture.
2: Absolutely, uh, you know, they're very obvious. You've got to make a lot of public announcements. You got to talk to your neighbors, so word gets out very quickly. And yeah, uh, people who aren't fans of modern Farming definitely can organize against you fairly quickly. So it's great to have folks out there who can take some of the chore out of getting these things organized.
1: Absolutely. And speaking of taking the chore out of getting things done, we take the chore out of letting you find your agricultural news because we are always listening, reading and watching the latest agricultural news that's coming out in the industry Filling you in on the things we think you would like to hear. So if you need to catch up on any of our past episodes to stay in the know, check us out at agnewsdaily.com or on social media Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Agnewsdaily. Mike, with that, should we let the people go?
2: Let's let them go.